just the whole idea that we can all sing kumbaya and just get along fine and not have any law and order doesn't work. COVID is unknown. School safety and keeping our kids safe from other forms of danger is unknown. There's a real opportunity there, right? To miss other red flag behaviors. And now, the safety zone. Mike, we're going to start out today on a part two of an episode we did recently on the perfect storm, as we are calling it, for schools, which some of them have already returned. A lot of them are returning in some shape or form the end of August, and then others are going after Labor Day. We talked about the hybrid in the sense of the perfect storm, in the sense of you've got some schools that are going fully back and others that are a hybrid model that are part going back, part long distance learning. And the perfect storm was the fact that schools are dealing with, of course, COVID, the pandemic, and that's created a huge difference in how they approach things. And and they're still trying to sift it out. But it also has an aspect about safety people aren't thinking about. And then the other aspect is the defunding of a lot of the police forces. And we're seeing issues now in New York City because a lot of that funding does affect what's going on with school safety and resource officers. And so when you mix both of those things, as you had said last episode, it does create a perfect storm. There's a lot of elements of concern. So we wanted to tackle today some more details. We had a listener who was the, uh, I believe, the director of a public school district association and really had some good questions for you. And I'll let you, if I got that wrong, let you straighten that out, but really wanted, wanting to know some details and and really listed some major obstacles, including mental health issues, along with the physical health and safety of the kids. So why don't you lighten us on that? Because I find it interesting, the questions that they brought up. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly on point here. Where I sit, my kids went back to school Monday. We're on a hybrid, meaning every other day they're in the building. It's keeping capacity at 50% from junior high up. The elementary age kids are going five days a week. I noticed that a neighboring school district started five days a week, had one or two COVID cases, and they immediately now have flipped to virtual for two weeks, which is really going to create some interesting times this fall if it's going to be this rapidly fluctuating, changing, ever-evolving day-to-day kind of model. Because I think what happens is we already see a lot of tunnel vision on COVID, the whole world tunneling on COVID. But particularly schools have spent the greater part of summer and really the last few months of last school year kind of prepping for what fall was going to look like. How are we going to reopen? Are we going to reopen? So there has been this really strong tunneling in on this pandemic. Mm-hmm. And we mentioned last episode that, you know, one of the concerns is that we get so tunneled in that we lose sight of 
everything we've been doing to keep our schools safe. And everything we do as a company is about 360. There's not one single thing that causes schools to be Mm. more at risk. It's a multitude of risks that schools face. And pre-COVID, we talked all the time about do not tunnel just on active shooter. Yes, those are big events. Yes, those are scary events. Yes, parents get extraordinarily nervous about Mm -hmm. active shooter, but we can't lose sight of other threats that are presented to our school, and and one of them being sexual abuse, which is much more prevalent, sexual exploitation, much more prevalent than active shooter. Well, now we've tunneled in on COVID, and I'm seeing some policy changes, and I'll give you one example. I know one school district no longer using lockers, so they're trying to keep kids, I think, from congregating more than anything, but now all of a sudden, they're going to be carrying backpacks throughout the building. Nothing would, you know, alarm me more as a security director, an SRO in a building, an administrator than a junior high and especially a high school. Now they basically have a mobile locker with them. And so really, I think what we want to focus on is just kind of, hey, here's some one pager or here is some bullet points to just think about. And it was driven by, uh, it was a statewide school board association who had reached out and said, hey, can can you follow up with the mm-hmm. kind of solution part of this? And that's, that's really what we want to do today. And I would start by saying, be careful as an administrator on tunneling. You're going to have nurses. You're going to have those experts in your building that are going to be super focused on coaching. COVID, but make sure those that are responsible for security and safety are still focused on safety and security. And I'm talking about physical safety, not just the COVID safety. I I can imagine that we're getting so focused on contact tracing. I read two articles this morning. I had Two of our leaders already speaking with one school district because they're having tremendous problems with contact tracing in COVID. The state commissioner of education in Indiana had said that what they're finding is a lot of times when the school calls home, talk to a parent, mm-hmm. they're not sure who's on the phone. Right. They're not sure if they believe them. Yep. You're talking and giving them dates of birth. We all get spammed. I see it show up on my phone every day, spam Mm -hmm. call. And so they're getting hung up on or we're not going to participate. We think this is a fluke. So they're struggling with being able to do kind of the contact tracing. So they're very focused on that physical. My concern is we've now had kids isolated since March and there is a mental health aspect to this. And not only... Yeah. And so one, I would hope that we would be laser focused on kids coming back into a building Yes, that we are mentally assessing this because there has been a lot happen, not just the fear, because a lot of them have fear, Mm -hmm. but these kids, many of them do not need to be at home. And (laughs) the last place that they should have been for the last many months was isolated at home. Mm -hmm. So we need to be focused on the mental health side of this as they're coming back into school and make sure these kids are healthy from a mental health perspective. And that was the director of the school board association, as you said, that was one of her highlighted 
questions. And it's it's true. I know in, in my own case, it's more the anxiety, the fear of getting something because they've been isolated so long. And all of a sudden you're, you're thrown in, even though they're doing 50%, you're still thrown in all of a sudden to a crowd that for some, some of the kids may have already just been doing their thing, but I, a lot of them maybe just saw one friend, you know, they've been playing it safe for a better lack of words. And um, so all of a sudden you're coming back into this situation and, you know, there's already the stress because many of these kids did long distance learning when a lot of things shut down in March. And for some that worked great, but they're showing that for vast majority, they got behind. And I know in our own school district, the kids have to, they're starting out, they're in their next year, but they're having to make up for stuff. And a lot of these kids are under stress, Mike. They're under stress just from being behind in, in their learning, in the curriculum. It's stressful enough with school, high school, whatever the case may be. But when you're starting off behind and then you throw in fear and then you throw in the uncertainty of not knowing one day to the next, even with us, it's a week by week kind of thing. There's a hybrid for a month okay, this half goes on these two days and then three days home. Most of the kids I've talked to, these teens, they maybe have different aspects of stress and anxiety, but they're all stressed. And that can be a, a difficult mix when you have, especially if you have, like you said, situations at home that are even escalating that stress for that child. Yeah. So let's talk about a well-adjusted child going back into this model right now. There is apprehension, there's anxiety, and there is some fear. Mm -hmm. And there's and there's actually continued social isolation for many of these yes. children. First thing that happened, my seventh grade daughter, when she saw the schedule come out, okay, it's A through L on uh, yep. Mondays or blue days, yep. and it's M through Z on gold days. Exactly. And now she's saying, okay, my best friend's last name, blah, 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 blah. figuring out right. are her friends in there, exactly. are they not? assigned seating at lunch. Am I with my friends? Am I at a table? When she stepped in, she actually broke down and cried yesterday. Yeah, yeah. I would have to say I was a little bit less than happy with the way things yeah. started on the first day back in the building because they had cones set up. It used to be a free-for-all when you came into the gymnasium, and now it's very organized, as it should be. That's what we're doing, social distancing, cones set up. She stepped up to a cone last name starts with M. She stepped to the end cone. Instead of just saying, hey, Delaney, move up a cone. This is where you need to be. It was more like, do you remember your ABCs? Can you say your ABCs oh, for right. me? And no. I was like, not the way to start, okay? There's so much fear and anxiety. Have some compassion as administrators and as teachers as you're bringing yes. the children back in. That is a normal, well-adjusted child. Exactly. Now, let's talk about the kids that have had behavioral issues kids that may be more likely to be the ones that would come to school and want to enact some kind of revenge for bullying, for some feeling of being slighted or hurt. Now, layer in more fear on top of what they already had. And you can see where we're creating kind of a perfect storm here from Absolutely. a mental health perspective. Yes. We're dealing with, okay, let's say we're dealing with children. 
but we're also dealing with children who are not fully developed, their brain's not fully developed, they're impulsive. How many times even, you know, I've got five kids and some are, they're all different. Even the ones that think a lot, they still do things impulsively. So from a mental health perspective, A lot of the administrators, a lot of the school counselors, they probably know the children in their building that are struggling pre-COVID. I hope that they're doing really good assessment of them as they're coming back into the building because they've now been isolated in our case for five months. Others are going to be even longer than that, depending on how you start. And we tend to forget, I think, as adults that the whole social aspect is huge, especially in the junior high, high school age. And we may sit back and think, oh, you're not with your friend because they're having, like you said, same on, in our school district, they're, they're calling it cohorting and pulling groups together. So they stay with the same kids all day so that they're not mixing too much with too many different people for the COVID. Well, that's got kids completely, <laughs> you know, in our district and including mine. That's a huge issue because they're going to sit alone at lunch or my friends aren't in my group. That's their whole social life. Yep. And that causes a lot of stress. But it can also, like you said, with kids that are already struggling or have had issues, this could be something that's even more isolating or more pressured for them on the whole social aspect as well. And it's the the health assessment has to include that mental assessment as well. For sure. There's been a big debate back and forth. Should we be taking fever? All of these different changes in protocols, but all of them can lead us into overlooking things that we have been talking about for five to 10 years of red flags to be able to see things in a child long before they make a determination to turn that into violence or use that as a tool. I just, I fear that we're so focused on one thing right now that we may have an opportunity to really miss something that could cause a lot of harm. What's that whole situational awareness, which a lot of programs have, if you see something, say something, and the awareness, not only with the kids, and but with the educators and the staff, but when they're so focused on checking to see if they have their mask on and hand sanitizing, there's a real opportunity there, right? To miss other red flag behaviors that would normally be what they were looking for. Yeah. We talk about it with schools. We talk about it with church and ministry. I mean, having well-trained eyes at the door. When That child's walking in, they're getting off a bus, they're getting dropped off, they walk to school, you're coming into worship on Sunday morning, having well-trained eyes that can do quick assessments, reads of people, looking at behaviors. Are we now focused on Johnny had a mask, Johnny had a mask, get your mask up, get it over your nose, get it off your chin, making sure that we do not lose sight of what we have been doing or had been doing before COVID. Yes, we got to worry about the mask. Yes, we're focused on certain aspects, but don't lose sight of other red flag behaviors that we would have picked up on before just because we're so lasered in on this one one threat to the the school. Exactly. Now, you you had talked about, of course, the book bags and in the hallways and classrooms because of not using, I know in our district, it's the same thing. They're not going to use their lockers. And it seems like that's a prevalent 
policy that many of the schools are adapting because of COVID again. But prior to that, book bags and hallways and classrooms weren't allowed. You had it in your locker and you left it there. You get a certain book. What do you advise the schools when it comes to that? Yeah, I guess I need to understand a little bit more, really, the idea behind this. Are they not allowed back to their lockers? Because I think they are, because I got a text from my daughter a Mm. couple times yesterday, and the phone has to stay in the locker. So if they're carrying book bags and not going to lockers, I'm not sure how they assess things. I know schools, some schools had moved to clear book bags a couple years ago after Parkland, just Mm -hmm. so they could maybe visually see things coming into the building. I'm not advocating magnetometers. I never advocate that type of screening coming in. There's already enough palpable fear from children. Do not add something else into this mix, like scanning their backpacks every day and having them congregate and breathe all over each other. Exactly. So I I think just think through your policies and, and what policy changes are you making? And is there a benefit for COVID that outweighs the risk that we may be bringing by making this policy change, like high school kid carrying a book bag everywhere he goes. And it could be as simple as all the things they have in the book bag. Now you got phones in the classroom you may not have had before this. I mean, there's distraction pieces that go along with this as well. Exactly. So really the bottom line is whatever measures the school's putting in for health physical health, safety precautions, they need to also make sure they're not repealing the safety precautions on a, from both on a mental aspect, but just on the genuine, you know, physical danger, abuse, you know, whatever the cases are that, that normally they would address. Yeah. Uh, some of these changes need to be going in front of your threat teams. We've been talking for years. You need a threat and a security team for a school district. You may need individuals in the building level, but then district-wide, these threat and security assessment teams. Here's another problem we're layering into that is some school districts were peeling back or pulling back those experts in the building. I watched last night, Richmond schools in Virginia, school board meeting, no decision was made. They're going to come back, I think on the 24th, parents are weighing in. Seems like a lot of parents are really concerned about pulling officers out of the school building. So on top of some of these policy changes in some districts, we're removing some of the expertise Mm -hmm. on the security and threat assessment, behavioral threat assessment side. So we may not have the experts in those buildings to help with some of the policy changes to determine whether or not they are good or or not good decisions. See, and that that's frightening for a parent. I mean, there's always a certain certain level of comfort when you have those experts and resource officers and various different people. And on the defunding side, we're seeing, we mentioned last time, but maybe to reiterate here would be good. We're seeing a pulling away of some of those aspects of school security as well, correct? That's absolutely. And and I think the foundation of this example in Richmond is they believe that they can take that funding for police and put that into mental health. It's a balancing act the head of the security and police within that school district was saying, we're a role model. Our arrest numbers and percentages are extraordinarily low. 
But let's be honest here. There comes a time in a school district where a kid becomes a criminal and does things to a level that requires them to be arrested. So we can't make this broad statement that arresting somebody is bad. Their goal is not to be an enforcement wing of the police department inside the school. But if something escalates to a point where somebody's going to be harmed and somebody needs to be physically arrested, that's what needs to happen. You're not going to have that availability in those schools any longer. They talked about the recruiting and building relationships and how are we going to get the next generation of law enforcement officers that the right type of people we want to law enforcement. So we're removing a lot of expertise in some some of these more urban school districts. So I don't know who they rely on to make these decisions because I, I don't feel comfortable that a lot of them, that counselors have the expertise as well-trained law enforcement officers to be able to understand whether or not a policy change is a good change or a bad change. And so It's just this perfect storm or snowball that can start to build and we may create something like we're seeing really in some of our cities right now where we remove any form of law and order. And I'm not getting political here. Law and order is the foundation of a civilized society, period. It doesn't matter if you're far left, middle left, right on fence, middle right, (laughs) far right. It should matter to nobody. Everybody should believe the same thing, that safety and security. We all want to be safe. Of course, we all want to be safe. And we all should recognize human nature. Again, it doesn't matter. Like you said, it doesn't matter if you have faith or not have faith. There are people that do bad things. There are people that do things. And honestly, anybody can necessarily do something wrong. So I'm not pointing at whatever it can be, but but just the whole idea that we can all sing kumbaya and just get along fine and not have any law and order doesn't work. It never has worked. No, that model has worked nowhere in the world. No, no. Kind of the last piece to this that schools must think about is over the last five years, we've spent a lot of time talking about reunification modules. You know, how do you reunify after an event? Could be man-made, could be natural, tornado, hurricane, depending on where you're at. How do you reunite children, account for them, and reconnect them in that event. And one of our clients had a active shooting event a couple years ago. And the former security director was telling me it took hours. I'm talking like six or seven or eight hours to reunify every child. And that's a can long you imagine? Time. That's a long time. If you have a child exactly. there, I want my hands on them like yesterday. Exactly. Right? And now what we've built into this is these hybrid models. So how does a school district, we're talking to some of our schools and have been all summer, how will you know if my daughter is on campus or off campus quickly when you need to reunify? And so being able to make sure that you have models in place where you know who's on campus, who's off campus, we don't want to be exerting tons of energy trying to reunite students that are virtual that day and not physically in the classroom. Exactly. So thinking through what do you have in place? Our software within the Safe Visitor System has a reunification module built into it. So can we identify that 
in the student database so that we know who's physically on campus and who's not on campus if, in fact, we have to do some kind of reunification. As we close on on this part two, we're talking about it because it's we're either, like again, the kids are either already in school and have started, they're getting ready to start, or they're going to be starting some form of school. And it sounds like most are a hybrid model, but either way, but there still seems like that there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of unknowns. I know that most of the schools are doing the best they can or trying to figure it all out. But the reality is if there's other school board members or a parent listening or a school administrator listening and they're concerned at their school, they're concerned that there's things that are missing in what they're preparing. What would you advise for them as far as getting help or getting what they need? Yeah, I would actually say I am in 100% alignment that COVID is an unknown. Day to day, we are just changing based on what happens that day. But I would follow that up and say school safety is a known. We have lots of research. We've been talking about this for years. We've got the Secret Service model that came out last year. I've got a 10 essential actions to improve school safety, which is part of a working group that reported to the Attorney General of the United States document that came out, and I started to read through it before the podcast. So what I would say is, though COVID is unknown, school safety and keeping our kids safe from other forms of danger is a known. Don't push one aside and get too focused only on one. We've got to have a 360, a totality, a complete model of keeping our children safe as they go back to school. Let those that need to focus on COVID focus on COVID. Let those that need to focus on safety and security continue to focus on the physical safety and security. Don't quit doing the drills. Don't quit testing the emergency equipment. Don't do away with your anonymous alert systems. Don't stop the things we've been implementing. Yes, visitor management, not going to have a lot of visitors coming into the buildings in the short term, but things will return in the long term. So not doing away with processes that we've already created, just adding in the COVID to this mix and treating it like we would a complete 360 safety solution. And that's the key. It's it's the whole picture, the 360. You can't, you need each part to connect. If there's anyone listening to this podcast that maybe you are a school administrator, a board member, a concerned parent, and listening, it's maybe brought up some questions that you have with your own school district or with how things are being handled. But if you have questions or you want some advice on how maybe you can approach your district or, again, if you want to get some expert advice, we just really encourage you to reach out to Mike through safehiringsolutions.com and get the information you need. And I know that we're all about safety. And Mike, you're certainly willing, right, to give people information and help them process through. I think the more information we have, the better we're going to feel. That's an important part of this, the COVID piece of it, especially. But I think parents want to know also that we haven't forgotten other forms of risk that our students can be presented with as they go to school. Yes. And and if you are a school district or someone that's working in a school district and you need some help, I we really do encourage you to, 
again, go to safehiringsolutions.com and we have all the contact information there. And please do reach out because it's there's nothing more important than the safety of our kids. There's just no doubt about it. So thank you, Mike, again, for, for the information. And we're all, of course, hoping and praying and wishing our kids a good return to school. And, and of course, for the teachers and the administrators, we know it's it's a very difficult time. So we all need to work together to keep everybody safe. Thank you, Mike. You're welcome. Thank you. This podcast was sponsored by Safe Hiring Solutions. See us at safehiringsolutions.com.